we have to tell everybody, Tuesday, Dundas Square, 9.30 a.m. We're going to be there, and we're going to go on the TTC with our group, Maskless. We're all going to use, I have a medical condition, and we're going to show everybody that masks are not mandatory. There are no consequences for refusing, and they cannot refuse you service for refusing the mask. And they cannot ask you for medical proof. We are going to demonstrate that live with an entire group of people because we're going to show you what united non-compliance can do. What do you what do you say? Was there 20 people that did that? Let's go. Who's with me? Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no. And it ain't over now. It's that that guy reminds me of John Belushi in Animal House, you know, (laughs) I mean, it's just. okay. so we've got a mandatory um, bylaw in the city of Toronto. Now, everybody has to wear masks if they're going indoors. That includes the TTC. Unless you are compromised and you can't wear a mask. And we spoke with uh, Stuart Green from the TTC today and he said it's kind of a moot point because we're not going to find anybody if they go on the TTC. And most people are complying with wearing a mask. We have seen 85% compliance. Dr. Stephen Taylor is our guest now. He's a clinical psychologist at the University of BC and also the author of The Psychology of Pandemics. So I wanted to reach out to you, Dr. Taylor, because you have some interesting thoughts on exactly, you know, it's a small handful of, of people that do not want to wear a mask and are really pushing back. And they seem to be uh, speaking in such a loud way that you would think here in Canada, it's much like the States that people don't want to adhere, but most of us are, are going along with this. There is psychology that can explain the pushback against mandatory masks though, right? Oh yeah, exactly. Um, oh, by the way, it was the Japanese that bombed Pearl Harbor, not the uh, Germans. <laughs> no, I know, but it, if you've seen, if you've seen Animal House, which is oh, a classic okay, film. Okay, right, right. John Belushi know, says that. Right, and right. Uh, and that's the, that is why I brought it up. Just because he's oh, kind right. of right, exactly. reminded well, me of that guy <laughs> and his thought process of getting on to the TTC without a mask exactly, today. Exactly. Well, getting back to your question, which is a really good one. Um, what we're seeing today is what happened during the Spanish flu in 1919. The same thing. A vocal minority of people back then stood up in San Francisco, it turned out, and said, we're not going to wear masks because, A, we don't think they work, B, we think the whole thing's blown out of proportion, and C, this is a violation of our civil liberties. And so we're seeing that again today, and you see that sometimes in highly individualistic societies where people uh, perceive that their freedoms are being uh, encroached upon and, and they experience this thing called psychological reactance, which is this kickback, this pushback. No, you're not going to encroach on my liberties. I'm going to show you and that's what we were seeing with these um face mask rebellion people it would be interesting to, if we had you know accurate record keeping to find out um you know if they had any ancestors that were around to you know speak for them now and their actions because they you know presumably a lot of people died during that spanish flu they might not be around so this is actually uh if it's actually a psychological um it, what would you call that? I mean, it's a, it's a psychological condition, psychological reactance. Why don't yep. more of us have it? Um, people vary in their, the, the extent to which they feel threatened about their freedoms and respond with this reactance. And some people, in fact, most people um, will look at the situation and balance things up and say, well, you know, it's a better safe than sorry approach. I'm giving up some of my freedoms, but what I'm buying in, in place of that is uh, a sense of safety. 
So I wear a mask so I don't have to go on a ventilator, for example. So most people reason along those lines, but some people, for various kinds of reasons that are poorly understood, have this intense, strong um, uh, sense that they need to protect their freedoms and rights. So when it comes to convincing the public that masks are necessary, you think we dropped the ball early days. Can you describe how, you know, why you think that we dropped the ball early days and how we could have uh, convinced more people that they should be wearing masks? Yeah, um, I should preface that by saying, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. It's, it's easy to criticize health authorities for not doing things in the past, and we should acknowledge that. However, that said, I think a better approach this pandemic would have been proactive instead of reactive that is to anticipate likely problems and there were there were and are two likely problems one is the non-adherence to mask wearing and second vaccination refusal and so we need to be proactive with both Uh, with regard to the masks it would have been helpful if the health authorities had been consistent in their recommendations you probably recall that early on we were all being told you don't need to wear a mask don't wear masks save the masks for the healthcare workers. And suddenly there's been a flip-flop where the health authorities are all saying now, you better wear a mask. So mm-hmm. there was that, and that undermines public confidence. The other approach um, to avoid this psychological reactance problem, I think what you need to do is stay away from mandating masks. Don't, don't have that conversation with people because that's going to backfire. Instead, uh, educate people about how wearing a mask is doing something for their community. Um, that they're helping out people who have, say, um, compromised immune systems and so forth. So just like you get up on your balcony at 7 p.m. and applaud the healthcare workers, you can do your bit for your community by wearing a mask. So I think that message is likely to be way more effective than uh, any attempts to make mask wearing compulsory. Well, here we are in the biggest city in uh, Canada, Toronto, and they have made mandatory mask wearing uh, a bylaw. However, they say they're not going to enforce it. So it kind of they're going to enforce it through education. So they are are actually trying to, I guess, uh, follow what you're suggesting. One of the things that you point out because you've you've written a book, the psychology of pandemics, and you've studied the uh, 1918 influenza pandemic quite uh, you know in depth. You were talking about the difference between COVID and the influenza pandemic, and the fact that you, you know one of the reasons why we don't or some people don't want to wear masks could be because it's kind of invisible to them, COVID-19, in a way that the uh, pandemic, uh, the influenza pandemic of 1918 wasn't. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, sure thing. Um, Back then in 1918, 1919, the site of coffins and corpses was a daily site. Um, corpses being stacked up in, in the day rooms, in houses, cemeteries where they were unable to bury the dead because there were just too many coffins, a shortage of coffins. So even though they didn't have social media back then and there weren't these graphic images being televised around the globe, it was the everyday immediacy of death. You saw death mm-hmm. everywhere. Um, here we're not seeing that so much. It's Sure, we see some images on television or the internet, but in our personal lives, the pandemic is kind of hidden. The, the sick and the dying are sequestered into hospitals where we, we don't see them. And that can give people a sense of, of unreality and can lead some people to, to underestimate the seriousness of, of this. And, of course, if you think the pandemic is overblown, you're not going to engage in social distancing, you're not going to wash your hands, you're not going to wear a mask. So that could be a factor that plays into all of this. You were talking about uh, the the proactive approach to mask wearing that the you know health officials could have taken and trying to normalize the practice through education instead of mandating wearing them and having this uh, this 
pandemic uh, response for, and it's it's not a lot of people, but that is a psychological reactance to uh, the mask and, and not wanting to wear it. Can you just touch on a vaccine? Because we're all looking ahead to the day when we have a future COVID-19 vaccine. Hopefully it comes sooner rather than later. But I read that in order to, um, if we have a vaccination, in order to have uh, herd immunity, you need about 70% of the population buying into a vaccination. And when we look to the states, only 50% said they would plan to get vaccinated. So that wouldn't give them herd immunity. Can you talk about the strategy we should take and when we should start taking it to getting people to uh, look at, at a COVID vaccine as normal? Oh, did he disappear? Rats, how do we lose him? Chris, you trying to get him back? I'm calling or? him back, yeah. I think Chris is trying to get him back. All right, I'm going to have to re-ask that question, but I think it is an interesting question because if 70% of Americans, and this stat came out last week, I remember thinking, oh, wow, kidding. 70% need to take the vaccine for herd immunity. And if only 50% of Americans are willing to buy in, that means there won't be herd immunity there. I know we're a little bit, uh, we have fewer anti-vaxxers here in Canada, but I wanted to ask you this, if we... Uh, were to start a message about vaccines, is that a good idea? I think that's a great idea. Um, vaccination hesitancy is a long-standing problem. Um, we've got influenza season coming up soon too, in which conceivably if there's a, a vaccine against uh, the coronavirus, people might need to get two vaccines, seasonal flu and the coronavirus. And so if vaccination hesitancy for the flu is a problem, it's going to be a big problem for um, COVID-19. And, you know, it is, it's interesting, the reasons people don't want to get vaccinated uh, for the coronavirus are similar to um, seasonal flu. They mistrust of the benefits, worry that it's a, it's a profit-making venture by big pharma um, and things like that. The thing that's going to make getting vaccinated against the coronavirus challenging is that it's an unknown virus. And so there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot more unknowns about the vaccine and some people are going to worry a great deal um, about that. And declined to get vaccinated. So it, it is a potentially big problem that we, we should address early on. Yeah. And the earlier, the better, because it's sort of like the mask approach. If you try and normalize it as soon as possible, more people will buy in and feel like they're not being forced. They feel like uh, they're doing the right thing and it was their decision to do the right thing. It normalizes it, correct? Exactly. And public education is hugely important. The public need to trust the government about this. If they perceive that producing a vaccine has been a rushed process. They're going to worry, oh, maybe they were cutting corners. Maybe this thing is in place. So, you know, clear, um, consistent, transparent communication about the process of developing vaccines is hugely important. Dr. Taylor, I want to thank you for your time and thanks for uh, coming back on the on the show after we <laughs> lost you there. You have yourself a fantastic thanks. afternoon. Thanks a lot, Kelly. You too. Cheers. That's Dr. Stephen Taylor, clinical psychologist at the University of British Columbia and the author of Psychology of Pandemics. Also needs to watch Animal House uh, ASAP.